Live Action is exposing the shocking history and truth of the abortion pill and the abortion industry's plan to deregulate this lethal abortion pill drug. Since the FDA first approved the abortion pill, this drug, nearly 4 million preborn children have been killed by it. There have additionally been 24 reported maternal deaths, and the FDA has, ex has received over 4,000 reports of adverse events from women experiencing hemorrhaging, excruciating abdominal pain, and severe life-threatening infections. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we are doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to our defense. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter, host of the show, and with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host Cam. How are you, sir? I am doing well. We have launched into our COVID-restricted and um, impacted internship. Yesterday was the first day we met the interns. We're all masked up, so I have no idea what their faces look like, but um, we are, <laughs> we're diving into the internship. I'm super excited for this new crop of, of interns to start making change here in Calgary and throughout Western Canada. Today is a good day, Peter. How are you doing, sir? Good. Thank you. Yeah, I could say the same here. Um, at the time of recording, we're on day two of our internship here in the, the East in the greater Toronto area. Again, you know, um, I haven't been able to meet anyone in person yet because of the, because of the restrictions, but training certainly has started and we are preparing for, um, as soon as we're able to open up here, we're going to, going to be on the streets and, uh, having COVID safe conversations and, and showing people the truth about abortion. So things are happening, um, in your neck of the woods and in mine, which is super exciting. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, we are the pro-life guys, two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children in Canada. And this podcast is dedicated to giving you the tools that you need to change hearts and change minds and save lives from abortion. Before we get into the conversation today, I just want to direct your attention to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. There are some pretty cool tiers with some pretty cool perks. Uh, but most importantly, you get to join the, us in our mission of bringing the uh, truth about abortion uh, to the to the public and equipping people to become better pro-life advocates, to know how to have effective and winsome conversations on the most difficult and, and controversial topic uh, and injustice of abortion. As you probably guessed from the opening quote, we are going to be talking about the abortion pill today. We've referenced it in the past on the this episode this podcast and on our series The Pulse. Uh, the abortion pill is uh, just one of the new ways that the abortion industry is pushing um, abortion access to women across the United States. 
uh, across Canada and across the world. And so we have the distinct privilege of having a discussion with Alison Centafonte today of Live Action. Alison Centafonte is the Director of External Affairs for Live Action. And in this role, she handles media, government relations, live actions, ambassador programs, and travels internationally sharing Live Action's mission. She has been fe featured on Fox News, ABC, and countless other news outlets and was named to Red Alert Politics 30 Under 30 list and Christianity Today Reader's Choice 33 Under 33. We are honored uh, and uh, excited to have this conversation with Allison about the abortion pill. Um, and one of the reasons, just before we dive in, we want to talk about this is because a lot of our listeners do uh, outreach. They do activism. They go out and have conversations about abortion from what we've heard from you. And we want you to be aware of the abortion pill. We want you to be aware that this is something that's available to the people you're talking to on the streets, the people you're talking to at work or at school. And just having an understanding of the abortion pill, the effects that it has, the the, the dangers surrounding it, um, dangers that the FDA and, and other pro-abortion groups are not going to tell you about. Um, having this awareness will give you uh, an important and critical tool that you can use when you're in conversations and the abortion pill does come up. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Alison Santafonte. Alison, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's great to be here. Yeah, we, we're looking forward to this. And the, the real reason we or the, the main reason we have you on rather is to talk about the abortion pill, where it came from, um, and just to learn a little bit more about it. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. Uh, you're currently working with live action, as I mentioned in the bio a little mm -hmm. bit earlier, but could you share with us your journey into the pro-life movement and why it is that you decided to make this, you know, a full-time gig? Sure. So I, um, I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing, but I love it. Um, I get to wake up every day and fight for life. I am really, really surprised at the blessing of an opportunity to, to fight for preborn children and also the lives saved because of it. So at Live Action, we're growing a digital following. We've got the largest in the pro-life movement, also the pro-abortion movement. Don't tell Planned Parenthood, but bigger than them on engagement and size. Um, but I got involved, I think, just through God's uh, providence. I have always had a very strong justice bone. Uh, if you talk about justice and mercy, I I am the one who's always seeking like justice. Um, and when I found out about what was happening to preborn children and women, it just struck a nerve. And I see now, you know, in college, we had Norma McCorvey come speak at our college. Norma is Roe in Roe v. Wade. And she became pro-life later in life. And we did this really powerful thing, guys, where we gave the student body roses to lay at her feet, which is funny now I work for Lila Rose, but we would we laid roses at Norma McCorvey's feet as she spoke. And it signified the number of lives lost uh, because of Roe v. Wade. And it was just this powerful representation of how many people have been lost and I think each rose like signified a thousand children or something. And when I went home from, from college that Christmas, my father shared with me that he's post-abortive. And um, that was big for me to realize that I have a lost sibling. Um, you know, this was before he married my mom, but I realized in that moment, it's not about 
just women, that this affects men. And he, he's, you know, still thinking about that and grieving from that. Um, and then God just kind of pointed me in my internships that I did and my jobs that this is the preeminent human rights abuse of our time. There's so many very important things to fight for, but every day over 2000 lives are lost to abortion and nothing compares to that in the size of numbers or gravity. And, um, just, I think it's an assault on human life. I think it's affecting a lot of women and men in our culture at large that we just treat human life this way. So, um, I got involved just by sharing and, and being very public about my opinion on life. And then I started seeing in my own life through my father and others that there are so many lives that have been impacted so close to me. So mm-hmm. that that is a, a beautiful story. I, I love hearing people's journey towards the pro-life movement. And, and just one more question on, on your journey that I'd love to pick your brain on before we dive into the abortion pill about your decision um, to, to join um, forces kind of with live action. I'm sure that abortion advocates and and people in the media viewed that kind of like LeBron James going down to the Miami Heat sort of thing of just two of the most influential people in the pro-life movement coming together to work for live action. Maybe share a little bit about your your role at live action and what, what it was that drew you to working with Lila at live action to make such um, incredible change and, and awareness in America through that organization. Well, it's very kind of you to say that. I don't view myself that way. Uh, I'll tell my husband that you, I think, called me or Lila LeBron James. He'll love that. Um, But Lila is the preeminent voice on life. And and I've always stood in awe of her. You know, through my work, we've gotten to do a lot of work together, even when I was at different organizations. And there's a special gift in in her. Um, She is the most precise um, dedicated, thoughtful person I've heard speak on life. And I'm so proud of her. Um, she's fought Planned Parenthood. And in fact, they like back out of debates with her now because she's just so good. Um, and so I, uh, I had just been praying for an opportunity to have some creativity and responsibility. And, and, and I, this was it, this was it for me. This is what I wanted to do for the next, you know, until I'm 80 years old and, and, can say we, we ended it. We ended abortion. And, and Lila and I had an amazing meeting in California. And um, I hope that she, <laughs> I think she's proud of me. And, um, but just, we, we get to work together and we also have such an amazing team. Like God has given us such talented people in every department uh, that are so smart, so much smarter than me in different ways. Like we get together and we're getting together soon as a team. And I'm so excited because we just pray over it. We prepare and then we just execute these great campaigns that save lives. And then like in a year we get to meet the babies we saved. It's really cool. Yeah, that is mm-hmm. great. That is one of the, the awesome perks about the work that we do. Now, as we let's transition a little bit. One of the things we are seeing in our current cultural moment is the is that the abortion industry is pushing the abortion pills, one of the largest expansions of abortion that we've seen in human history. And what the abortion pill brings essentially is uh, the opportunity or the availability of doing abortions at home, doing abortions by yourself, taking away the, some of the larger costs of going to an actual clinic, um, taking away perhaps the shame of having others know that you are going to be having an abortion um, and just having this sort mm-hmm. of you know convenience uh, aspect to having an abortion. Now, Planned Parenthood, who, as we know, uh, is a bastion for truth and beauty and goodness, 
um, has expressed time and again that the abortion pill is safe. Um, there might be some mild discomfort uh, for a few hours, but um, it's comfortable. It, it, you know, overall, it's safe. And, uh, and you could probably go back to school or work the very next day. But live action, uh, the team that you work with, um, you guys have put together a video and done some extensive research into the abortion pill um, to, to sort of combat the, the narrative of the, the pro-abortion industry about the, you know, the reality of what the abortion pill is and some of the effects that it has. So could you start things off for, uh, about the abortion pill um, with where did it come from? Um, when was the pill created and, uh, just kind of like the, the inception of this pill? Yeah. Thanks so much. And for those listening that are like, wait, how does this, you know, wait, abortion pill, this is what, what do I need to know here? A couple things before I get into the history of the pill, you need to know that we are doing a good job in the pro-life movement in the United States. Abortion clinics are decreasing brick and mortar. Abortion clinics are quickly are shutting down. For multiple reasons, um, ta- you know, taxpayer funding, uh, less women going, abortions are at a very historic low in our society. That's a good trend. We're doing good, but that does not make the abortion industry happy. They're not okay with that. So they are moving this conversation from brick and mortar in-person abortions to chemical, what they call medical abortions, which is an at-home abortion. Something they, by the way, have said for decades they did not want, right? We don't want at-home abortions and DIY abortions. In fact, that's exactly their business model. Now, they are promoting the chemical abortion pill for women to take at home, alone. Um, And I'm sure we'll get all into that. But the reason we're having this conversation is because I, as a woman, my sister's friends, women in both the United States and Canada are going to feel this increased pressure for what they're calling self-managed, essentially DIY at-home abortions. So it's really important we know what this pill is. It's really important we know the risks, what it does to the baby, and how to speak out against it. So I know that's what we're going to get into today, but I just want to give a sense of urgency that this is the new marketing scheme of a multi-million dollar company for them to profit off of pain. So that's kind of like my first caveat. Um, in, and I'll get into your question now. I mean, the abortion pill was not allowed in the United States for a very long time. Um, you can go back and read uh, reports. You can read live actions, abortion pill kills report and see pictures of amazing pro-life activists like in France in, in across the world saying we don't want RU486 here in our country. And, and we, the United States, did not allow it for a long time. It was actually Bill Clinton who came and demanded that the abortion pill be brought to the United States. And pro-life activists at the time fought it, thankfully, bravely. Um, They lost. But the abortion pill has a pretty sick history. I I don't know if you want me to get into the name RU46, where it came from. Sure, yeah, that'd be great. Mm -hmm. I I watched a little bit on the... Uh, the video, I think it's like an 11, 11 minute video that live action had put out. And it was to me, to a certain degree, it's telling. I mean, the, the pill's not wrong because of who made it, but there certainly is a, a, a connection yeah. to some other injustices as well. So if you could dive into that briefly, that would be wonderful. Yeah. And this is a story, guys, that almost sounds so wild. I couldn't believe it at first. 
Like when our researchers mm-hmm. came and told me this, I was like, you need come again, like come again. So, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely 100% true. So the abortion pill is RU46. That's the name of it. And it's named after Roussel Ucloth. And he is, uh, he bought a stake in the French pharmaceutical company uh, that is, is the same pharmaceutical company that developed Cyclone B, which was the dangerous, deadly cyanide gas that was used to end lives of Jews during the Holocaust. This is not a good name. If you were a Jew and you heard of a Roussel Uklaf, you knew exactly who this was. Um, you knew what he was creating. In fact, he and his company forced Jews, slaves to create Cyclone B. Uh, so it's really, really heartbreaking. You can go into more detail about this in our report that I mentioned, but they used to call his um, his lab, you know, the devil's lab. Like he, they knew exactly what they were doing, trying to execute Hitler's final solution, which would be to kill vulnerable people. Um, so RU486 is Roussel Uklaf and it's 486, just the pill is there. So I would be, uh, we could go into that in depth, but it's incredibly important to know that this pill was created by people who who don't care about human life. It was uh, a fantasy of people who were seeking to hurt. Um, now they can do it under the guise of good, but they are the pros at deadly, deadly things. And that's what they created with the abortion pill was a deadly, deadly drug. Yeah, I I think this is so important to know, Allison. I I find this fascinating as well as a bit of a tangent of just Planned Parenthood has finally come out um, kind of trying to sever ties with Margaret Sanger. I'm sure that there's many more people who are looking into the absolutely horrific origins, not only of Planned Parenthood, but also this pill, because that's not the only connection, right? When when you look at people who kind of took over the RU-46 in America, that sort of thing, and the absolute direct connection with very prominent, very public eugenicists, um, mm-hmm. it's pretty disturbing. And I'm sure that um, I hope that Americans and Canadians and people around the world start doing a little bit more digging about the horrifying origins that this wasn't just one bad apple among people who are trying to benefit the world sort of thing. I mean, the first, what was it, three or four executive directors of the Population Council that kind of took over RU46 mm-hmm. um, were leaders and members of the eugenicist movement. And so I think it's important for people, yeah, to recognize the origins of this pill. But like Peter said, this isn't just about um, the pill is wrong because some really bad people put it together. Maybe let's dive in a little bit more about how the pill actually works. I know that you guys Mm -hmm. have done a a ton of research into kind of the physiology of what the pill does to that innocent preborn child and how it brings about their death. And, And so maybe if you could dive into that, that would be wonderful. Sure. So the abortion pill regimen is actually two pills. The first pill, which is RU486, Uh, is mifepristone. And a woman is to take that, ingest that orally, and it will block progesterone, which essentially starves the child of nutrition. So the child will pass, sadly. And then that woman is to take another second pill, misoprostol, within 24 hours. And she will go home and she will have 
bleeding, pain, and she will labor. She will labor and deliver this child. And the abortion industry will paint this as they'll go through a, 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 a leaflet and say, you'll have some pain and you'll be done in, in a couple of days. Like you said, it'll, you'll go back to school. The reality, as we've talked to so many women who have had the abortion pill regimen, um, it's not that. If you guys watched Unplanned, it's also very clear in there. There's a very clear uh, scene where Ashley Bratcher, the main character portraying um, Abby Johnson, goes through with her first trimester abortion and it's bloody and it is harsh. And I don't say that to be gory. I say that because there's a lot of danger here. So one, I want to talk about the development of the child at that stage. We can go there. But talking about the procedure, a couple key things. Normally, a woman would see a doctor. They would date your pregnancy. You would see that doctor in person and you were required by the FDA to take that first pill in person. Then you would go home. You would take the second pill alone or at a hotel or at your dorm room. Now, the abortion industry is has successfully fought that in-person requirement. They, they, they used coronavirus, the pandemic, as a shield to say, it is so dangerous for us to send women in to our facilities. We need to be able to mail them the pill. So eliminating you know, the doctor from that conversation, moving to telemedicine, there is no way to accurately date a pregnancy via telemedicine. There is no way. We've talked to leading neonatologists, OBGYNs. They are all that are pro-life are raising the red flag saying, this is very dangerous. This pill is only approved by the FDA up to the 10th week of pregnancy. We know that many abortion facilities will give it out later than that, which is dangerous. But they should diagnose at the time of your pregnancy if this is going to be uh, legal for you to take and for them to administer. And secondly, it's very important that a doctor is able to assess an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy outside of the uh, uterus. If that ectopic pregnancy ruptures, the symptoms of that ectopic pregnancy are very similar to a, a first trimester abortion, heavy bleeding, lots of pain and cramping. So our concern is not only just for the life of this child that will die from this abortion pill, but also as the industry is pushing to get rid of even the most basic safety regulations, like an in-person visit, women's lives will be put at risk. Women will be delivering their child at home. I mean, how much bleeding is normal, guys? How much? How, how do I know whether this is a successful abortion or whether I have ruptured my fallopian tube, or whether I'm hemorrhaging, which is a very, very severe risk of taking the abortion pill. Um, our friends, Dr. Kathy Altman, um, have looked at the adverse re events that have been reported from taking the abortion pill regimen. She's doc she shows, this is not her, a pro-life doctor. Thousands of adverse events have been reported to the FDA. At least 24 women have died. Thousands have been hospitalized because of hemorrhage or sepsis. They've needed surgical abortion still because parts have remained inside of them of their unborn child. It's really scary. And we're doing everything we can to alert women to the reality of this pill. 
Um, so that is how the pill works. It first starves the child, then you will deliver the child at home. Um, many women speak of seeing their baby parts of it or in whole and then flushing their child. So it is traumatic and, um, it's something I hope no one ever goes through. Yeah. That's the, um, the unfortunate reality uh, of it. Um, and, and just the awful reality for women is they come face to face with their child in my, in my opinion, but also the adverse side effects. Uh, and the health conditions that it brings on for the women. Um, I just, one of the things that comes to my mind, Allison, is has to do with the FDA. I mean, um, you know, at one point this pill, even though we are um, against it completely um, because of the the goal that it has of ending the life of a preborn child. But at one point you were allowed to take this pill within a controlled environment, um, you know, not have it shipped to you via, via mail or, or perhaps get it from a vetting machine eventually. Um, is there like a political reason, like what's with the pressure and, and the decision of the FDA to, to really just open up the abortion pill wide when they are fully aware of the effects that the pill has on the women who are taking it? Yeah, great question, right? We think FDA approves it, you know, FDA says, and we follow that and we hope it's apolitical, but that's not the reality right now. Right now, the abortion industry has their favorite person at the head of HHS. The head of health and human services is Xavier Becerra in the United States. HHS is over the FDA, NIH, all of these other very important agencies. Xavier Becerra has no spine. He is he has no spine when it comes to the abortion industry. They he'll do whatever they say. He's one of them. He, when he was attorney general of California, was fine suing nuns, nuns, Catholic nuns for not providing birth control and abortion inducing drugs which is ridiculous to me. Um, and we, they, you know, went all the way to the Supreme Court. Nuns, by the way, I'm not Catholic, but last time I checked, they take a vow of chastity and poverty. They truly are married to the Lord. So I don't know how Xavier Becerra thinks they plan on getting pregnant, but they are married to Jesus. So he sued them for not providing abortion-inducing drugs and birth control in their abortion plan, in their, excuse me, health insurance plans. He was right sidestep with Kamala Harris as she attacked uh, David DeLayden, the pro-life hero for undercover video exposing what the abortion industry does in terms of selling aborted baby body parts. So when we at Live Action heard that Xavier Becerra was up for nomination at HHS, you could see the writing on the wall. I mean, he is incredibly pro-abortion. He talks about that. He is not, you know, he's as he's publicly pro-abortion. Um, so that's what's going on at the FDA right now. To answer your question, sadly, they are taking their cues from a corrupt, uh, profit-minded abortion industry that is hell-bent on success, even though more people are becoming pro-life than ever because of groups like Live Action and the greater pro-life movement for you guys sharing the reality of life. They see this happening. They are freaking out because the target was on their back for four years um, for them to uh, they were losing funding. People were questioning them and what they were doing because their pap smears are down. They don't do mammograms. All of their services are down, but the abortions there were going up. Even again, as nationally, abortions were going down. Planned Parenthood, their market share continues to grow. Um, so it has become political. And they are the, the head there of, of HHS over them all is a political activist. He has no medical background. He is the head of health and human services. He is an attorney with no medical background. 
So he's taking his cues from loud voices that are hell bent on abortion and destruction and money. That's it. Yeah. And and I think it's so important to highlight this because obviously the mainstream media is part of the abortion engine, I think, around the world. And we, we touched on it earlier about how using the pretense of COVID-19, um, kind of removing the barrier of having to go into the facility to, to take that first pill. I'm sure a lot of people in conversation with our, our listeners and whatnot might kind of think of this as fear mongering sort of thing of, you know what, it's still a controlled thing. They're still going to tell them what to do. Um, and it's just going to, going to happen um, very safely, all this kind of thing. I'm, I'm sure Planned Parenthood is, is on that war path of just how safe this is. But a, a few things spring to my mind. I'd love to get your thoughts, um, Allison, on them. The First of all, the fact that you received this in the mail, not only, as you mentioned, is there going to be some degree, if not a, a huge um, range of how old that child actually is when they first receive those pills in the mail, but when that mother actually takes those pills might be an entirely different thing in, entirely, right? That that mm -hmm. even if there is some way to do a, a virtual ultrasound, I know that there's technology now to to try to gig up a, an iPhone or something to be able to somehow image the age of a child. This idea of I received these pills very early on in pregnancy, and yet I, I was nervous. I was anxious about taking them. I didn't know if I actually wanted to go through with this. And I waited four, five, six weeks. And now my child is 13, 14, 15 weeks old. Mm -hmm. Not only that, but one other thing that, that really buzzes in my mind is who's ordering these pills? Like, like are we not going to be dealing with boyfriends and husbands and partners who are failing in coercing their girlfriends and partners into having abortions and now slipping abortion pills to their significant others, to the mother of their children. Um, those are a few of those, the concerns that bounce yeah. around in my mind. I, I don't know if that's fear mongering, but, but thoughts on those and other concerns that, that spring to your mind that we need to be aware of. It's not fear mongering at all, Cam. I mean, that's the reality of the world we live in. And those have all been seen to be true. Those scenarios you played out have already happened. There have already been men that have ordered the pill through these illegal websites online and given it to their, their girlfriends unbeknownst to them. Um, and they've been, they've been in trouble for that, thankfully. Um, but that is going to happen more. This was always a risk with the abortion pill uh, being nailed to women. Um, I would argue it's still a risk, even if you're in, in person. We know that the abortion industry isn't looking out for abusers. They don't care if there's a grown man in there and a young girl comes in looking for the abortion pill. They don't report it. Live action's documented, gone undercover and videoed Lila pretending to be 13 with a 30-year-old boyfriend. And they say, don't tell me that. They say, I didn't hear that. Say it's another student at school. You can't tell me that. So that's a scenario that we know is happening, sadly, even in person, because at the end of the day, it's about procuring an abortion for a girl because they put that priority over anything else and procuring the profit from that abortion. So the idea of, of abusers taking advantage of it, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, yes, in person is a problem. Also at home is a problem. You could see abusers using this, bad parents, bad boyfriends, um, sex trafficking. I mean, this is a real big problem. We know that the abortion industry is a part of the problem with sex trafficking because according to previous ruling, previous rules, if you are a healthcare provider, you had to report um, abuse, suspected abuse of minors. 
Um, and that was part of the tie. If you're going to get this federal funding, you have to take the trainings, know what to look out for. And Live Actions interviewed trainers from the federal government who, was, who were going to abortion facilities to train them on how to look for abuse. And they shared with us, I mean, these staff are laughing. Like, I would never report a 13-year-old. Ha <laughs> ha. Like, that was their experience training Planned Parenthood workers. Like, this is a joke. I'm going to give her the pill. I'm going to give her the abortion. I'm not here. I'm not here to do this. I'm not here to, you know, report suspected abuse. So there's a carelessness. Absolutely. Um, and you touched on this about the development of the child. But for a woman to take the pill, the first pill, and then within 24 hours, take the second, um, we know that women change their minds. That's the reality. Women change their minds. And if they don't have the knowledge, you're right. They could, they could not know about things like abortion pill reversal. So for anyone listening, I, and I think you guys know this well, but you have 72 hours really is the time to take the first pill, wait, take the second. Um, but if you change your mind, there's an opportunity called abortion pill reversal where you could potentially save the life of that child. Um, the first pill removes, we talked about progesterone from the developing child. If we re-administer progesterone, there's a chance we can stop the abortion. And so I'm really proud of groups like Heartbeat International. They have an abortion pill reversal hotline um, that you should know about as a pro-lifer. If you are doing sidewalk advocacy, if you are just caring about women, you should know about the abortion pill reversal hotline. Um, and what happens then is it'll connect a woman who has changed her mind to a provider in her area and she'll be able to get a prescription. Um, usually they need to come in and see her. They need to check and see if the baby's heartbeat is still there. If the heartbeat's there, we give, we give progesterone to keep that heartbeat going so that the nutrition does not continue to be starved from them. Um, it's an amazing, amazing tool. There are lives saved because of it. And I'm encouraging more pro-life medical professionals to join the network. If you're pro-life and you have um, administering privileges, not administering privileges, excuse me, um, prescription privileges and access to an ultrasound, you are able to provide abortion pill reversal to women in your area. And it's a great way to be locally pro-life. Your information is kept confidential. Um, you'll, you know, you'll get a phone call from the network and they will connect you to the woman in need. So it's a great, great resource. But do abortion facilities tell women about that? No. Nope. Does the pro-choice side tell you that if you change your mind, you have a choice? No, no, they're not required to. They fight any time we in our state legislatures try and require them to. We say, hey, look, all right, you know what? Meet me in the middle. You're going to do an abortion. You just got to tell her about the opportunity to reverse it. They fight us tooth and nail. Progesterone is used in miscarriage man management all the time. I hope you two have never had to go through this, but if you're going through a miscarriage, they will administer progesterone to try and save the life of the child. It's, it's often used in this way. And if you talk about trying to use it to, to save a child from abortion, the abortion industry acts like you're telling them to like consume bleach. They're like, this is crazy. You can't do that. Like, no, this is used in miscarriage management. It can and has saved the life of many children. And so um, I'll point people to Dr. Christina Francis, who is amazing on this. She's at the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs. She talks all about it. We're going to be doing some great work with her to highlight that. So keep an eye out on live action. 
Um, but that's a very long answer to your question. Sorry about that. But yeah, I wanted to make sure we talked about worship reversal. No, I'm, I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Allison. And actually, for, for listeners, our next episode that we're going to be launching is with Dr. Matt Harrison, who was one of the doctors who was developing mm -hmm. and, and kind of piloting the abortion pill reversal process. And so we're really excited about that interview as well. But no, I'm really, really glad that you mentioned it because there are so many people who find themselves in that situation. Maybe they were coerced. Maybe they were just terrified. They take that first pill. And then they've got 72 hours to reflect on just what it is that they've put in in motion. And they regret that decision. And they're looking for that opportunity to reverse um, what they've done to try to um, rescue the life of their child. And so I think that it's so important for every pro-lifer to be aware of that and help people know that this may not be final. It, it may not be a guarantee that you can save the life of that child. Like, please don't take the first pill knowing, you know what, if I change my mind, I can absolutely save my baby because it's not a guarantee. But absolutely every pro-lifer out there should be aware of this abortion pill reversal. And uh, looking forward to that, that interview with Dr. Uh, Matthew Harrison um, next week. One last thing, Allison, that I wanted to pick your brain on before we kind of dive into the statistics and maybe a little bit about um, the abortion procedure, unless Peter had other questions. You, you share a little bit about the development of the child at these stages when the abortion pill is being taken. I know that we've covered this on previous episodes, and, and I, I certainly have kind of my go-to developmental stages that I like to share with people when they talk about... Um, absolutely inaccurately, a, a nine-week-old human embryo being just a clump of cells with no definition or anything like that. I, I have my go-to kind of stages of development that I help them understand just the the beauty and and just how far along this child is. But I wonder, are there a couple different stages of development that you like sharing with people to help them really understand how developed this child is. I mean, I, I think that it should go without saying that even if there is no definition to this child until they were delivered, even if it was just a unformed clump of cells until the delivery down the birth canal, abortion would still be wrong. But what are your go-to or really, really beautiful and fascinating levels of development that you often like to share with people about prenatal development? Yeah, that's a great, great point. Great question. Um, I actually like asking it of my person, my opponent first, um, what they think and what they know about prenatal development. So I have friends um, in Nashville and they are singer songwriters and they're great and they know the work I do. And one of them said to me very, you know, jovially, like, hey, like, let's see what you're doing. Like, I, you know, I'm not sure how I feel, but definitely like once there's a heartbeat, I'm like, you gotta, you know, that's a baby. And I was like, that's great, dude. Like, what do you know when that happens? He's like, I mean, I don't know, probably like, you know, second, third trimester, right? It's like, no, um, a heartbeat can be detected as early as six weeks. And he's like, what? I said, you're really pro-life. Like, I'm really proud of you. And he just had no idea. And he goes, okay. And I'm like, yeah, you know, at that point in time, most women, you know, don't even realize that they're pregnant. Um, because by the time you miss your period and you are, you know, that baby has a heartbeat at six weeks, brain waves can be detected at eight weeks. And this thing is, this thing is on a fast track to development. And he goes, I, I did not know. Like I had no idea. So I was like, yeah, at, at heartbeat, since you declared that that's, you know, your line of, of human life, 
you got to join me in, in fighting first trimester abortion because that's, that's, that's there. Now I want him to move to the moment of conception, right? Like we need, that's our next step. But for him to realize that he himself said heartbeat was the line and that starts, you know, that's detectable at six weeks. Amazing. Amazing. It begins as early as 21 days. The heartbeat does. It's only detectable by our human tools at six weeks. So I was like, Hey man, you gotta, you gotta, now we have to talk about 21 days post fertilization. You know, that is, that is your, your definition of life. So I talk about that 21 days, heartbeat begins detectable at six weeks, brain waves at eight weeks. Um, but even those development facts, as you know, only point to the fact that at the moment of conception, given time and nutrition, we're there. So whether it's heartbeat or brain waves or fingernails, eyelashes, the ability to feel pain, you have to ask the next question of, well, what is, what am I talking about? What has a heartbeat? What has brain waves? What is this? And this is a child. This is a child at the moment of conception when sperm and egg fuse and implant, we have a baby and we have sex, ethnicity, hair color, eye color. As I was preparing for this podcast, I thought I was listening to that again because we've interviewed um, neonatologists and some of the leading experts in prenatal development. And they go in this webcast that we had done previously, they go through these medical textbooks so this is not pro-life propaganda, but they open up their medical textbooks and they talk about how it straight up makes very clear that there is human life at the moment of conception. And this is now a developing human being. And whether you call it an embryo or a zygote or a fetus, those terms do not invalidate the fact that this is a human being developing and given time and nutrition will be born and will be just part of our human family, like we are used to, but just in the earliest levels of development. So I was just laughing because I'm thinking like, yeah, like how crazy is it that even me saying that the baby's sex is determined at the moment of fertilization is now another like cultural war point. But these are, these are medical textbooks that talk about the reality at, at the beginning. And so there, um, that's not going to be heard in the abortion industry. It's not going to be heard in the abortion clinics, but we know. And this baby, you and I guys, and we had our hair color, we had our eye color. It was all decided right then and there. And um, I'm grateful to our moms for giving us life and for society for supporting those lives um, that are wanted. We need to move that so that even children that are conceived unplanned are supported and cheered on. And we tell women, you know, right away, your baby's, your baby's there, you're a mom. And this is a boy or a girl. It's got brown eyes or blue eyes. And, um, and, and that should be celebrated. So um, huge, huge points of prenatal development. I'd be interested to hear, um, Cam, what are your favorite prenatal development stats to kind of give out? So I, I love talking, like you said, I, I talk a lot about the heartbeat and how we may not have a four-chambered heart, but we have an independent pulse at three weeks after fertilization. I, I love talking about fingerprints as well. For, for some reason, people really hit on and, and really identify with that as being such a unique attribute. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got a different fingerprint. You've got fingerprints at like eight or nine weeks sort of thing. Every major organ system is established by eight, nine weeks kind of thing. These, these really humanize these preborn children for people. And I, I think that even more than focusing on the viability, whether it's 
22 weeks, 23 weeks, even more than even the pain um, recognition, just the fingerprints for people and, and the eyelashes. Like you mentioned, I, I don't know what it is about eyelashes, but mentioning <laughs> that, that this baby has eyelashes at this point, I just see people, oh my goodness, this isn't a blob of cells. This isn't some like, could be a chicken embryo or something like this. Like, oh my goodness, no, this is absolutely a human. Yeah. And it's interesting, those, those like random facts that really resonate with people. And so I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned those. I, I'm sure that everyone's kind of got their favorite. Peter, I don't know if you've got a go-to, but those are mine. Yeah, the fingerprint, the eyelashes, and then um, the, the independent pulse at, at the three weeks sort of thing. I don't, I don't know if I would have a go-to per se, but one of the things I often say is, you know, I'm a guy, I'm 27 years old. Uh, according to the, the research I've read, I've, I've probably around the point where the, my, the front, frontal cortex of my brain is finally fully developed, um, which basically means that for the last 27 years out of the womb and nine months within the womb, I've been growing and developing and, and just challenging the notion of why should we ever allow to, you know, pick some sort of arbitrary random point within the stage of like any particular stage of development to say, this is when you get human rights. This is when you don't. Um, That's and yeah. doesn't it make, doesn't it make more logical sense to say, Hey, we should give humans the human right to life when they begin to exist. To me, that, to me, that makes sense. And it brings to mind something we've said on the podcast before, which is um, we might be pretty good biologists to have a good understanding of when human life begins, but really, really bad ethicists, to, to really dictate what we should be allowed to do once mm -hmm. that human being is already in existence. Yeah. Allison, uh, just a question on the, the abortion pill as well. Um, now, when it comes to, you know, abortions in brick and mortar buildings, um, there are often uh, regulations that dictate, you know, the, 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 the fact that uh, these abortion clinics have to um, just state how many abortions they did and keep a record of the numbers and all of those things. Uh, do like, are we able to track how many abortion pills are purchased or taken? Um, and do we have any sort of understanding how many preborn children have lost their lives to abortion pills in the, in the United States? Yeah, it's a really good question. So from our um, research, we know that at least 4 million children have died. 4 million children have died from the abortion pill. That's um, from the FDA. So that's not just us. Um, I would anticipate that number is higher. Um, and it's heartbreaking, too, because, you know, we were just talking about prenatal development and you just think about all those lives lost and it gets really heavy um, because I wonder how many women knew um, that was what their child looked like or was developing. Um, Live Action has done investigations. I don't know if you guys have gotten to see them, but we went undercover. We had undercover investigators go in actually pregnant women, they're very heroic, um, to walk into the nation's, you know, most prolific abortion facilities and document these employees, even like abortionists, the directors lying to them about prenatal development. And so it breaks my heart just in numbers, the 4.3 million, but also just in the reality that like, there's so many women that know that are going to hear this podcast or going to learn one day how far along their baby was and that they were lied to. We've had abortionists tell women with third trimester babies that their baby doesn't have a face. Doesn't have a face. It, that's a lie. That's a complete lie. Um, we've had Leroy Carhart told a woman, uh, a friend of mine, 
I won't mention her name who went in undercover that her third trimester baby was just like, it's like in a crock pot. It's just kind of a form. It's a crock pot stewing. It's not like done yet. And, and we've got it on video. And so talk about the rules and the regulations. Abortion facilities don't even give out accurate medical information about prenatal development and are allowed to do it all day long, taxpayer funded. We expose them and the federal government goes, oh, okay. I mean, and yet we as the pro-life movement are told we're sharing medical misinformation when we talk about the reality of preborn life. So um, I just think it's really important that we as a pro-life community are public and bold in this. It is very easy to let the abortion industry via osmosis desensitize us to what the abortion pill does because they, they're they trying to give it out on college campuses, guys. They're trying to put it in vending machines. All of those moves and marketing moves psychologically desensitize us to what it does to a child. And so we have to amp it up. We have to turn up the volume on what the reality looks like, that it will starve your child. You will literally labor and deliver in your home alone, and you're going to kill this child. This is a developing human being that we can find alternative solutions to caring for, whether it's helping you with parenting or helping you to find adoption resources. This is not your solution. This is not what we should be doing to preborn children. They are the most innocent, the most weak. They are are voiceless. And yet every day they're targeted, they're exploited. And it is the pro-life movement that is trying to speak up for them. So I'm so grateful that you guys have dedicated so much time to this Um, because rules and regulations. We are going to try that. We're going to try laws that enforce abortion facilities to talk about the prenatal development. We're going to try and get them to talk about abortion pill reversal, but it comes down to us because we know they don't follow the rules. It's up to us with sidewalk ministry, with using our social media to educate, to share these videos, to share the podcast, shoot, to send out emails saying, Hey, if you are someone, you know, is in an unplanned pregnancy, I want you to know that I'm here. I'm here to help. People often ask me, like, what can I do to be more pro-life? That's like, you know, a little easier than maybe I have a full-time job. I can't sidewalk counsel. If you remind yourself every month to post on social media that you are a safe place for a woman in an unplanned pregnancy, God is going to use that. And I am very interested to see the direct messages that come your way. Because we need to be the safe place for women and men in unplanned pregnancies to go when they need help. And then we can connect them to resources. So that's my kind of like concrete activism tip of the day. But share this information any way you can. And also make sure that you're a safe place to be for for women that say, hey, look, I actually took the pill. What can I do? They know that you're going to not judge them. You're going to love them and you're going to help them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Peter, I'll, I'll jump in just before you start the kind of um, how to get connected with live action. But but just anecdotally, so I, I was out with a colleague doing some social distance door knocking um, here in Calgary, Alberta last week. And we talked to a 14-year-old girl who's in high school. And we talked to her for like almost half an hour about abortion. And, and it was an amazing conversation. She was really, really clinging to wanting to be pro-abortion. And at the end of the conversation, I just asked her for a promise. If ever you find yourself in a situation, can you promise to give us a call before you give the abortion ministry a call? Can you promise that at the very least, you'll reach out to us for help before you try to find quote unquote help from the abortion facility? And I think that's something that you hit on the importance of having that 
personal connection. This isn't just about large organizations like CCBR or Live Action or others that are providing the support and care. This is about every individual pro-lifer, American, Canadian, around the world, being that good neighbor to their neighbors, to their children, to their sisters, to their spouses, whomever it may be. And if you offer, that's what it, how, how much less daunting is it to be able to receive something from your friend as like a, oh, whatever, I'll get you back sort of thing, then having yeah. to walk into the pregnancy care center. Pregnancy care centers are some of the most amazing places in the entire world, but it still feels very vulnerable going in there, admitting your own kind of Mm-hmm. insufficiencies as the world wants to claim it to be and asking for help. People hate asking for help, especially from strangers. Yeah. To be able to be that friend, to be that family member who can offer that help, I, I think that you hit on something pure gold there in the value of having that widely known amongst your friends, amongst your social media contacts, all that sort of thing that you are there to help, whether that's materially, whether that's emotionally, spiritually, whatever that might look like. I think that's pure gold, Allison. Awesome. You never know. She might be giving you a call on day, that 14-year-old. And I know that there was a reason you had that conversation. Allison, thank you so much for uh, talking to us about this difficult subject, the abortion pill. Um, Where could we find more information about the abortion pill um, on Live Action's website or or wherever it might be? Well, I'm really proud of uh, what we put together. It's liveaction.org slash abortion pill kills. And that will take you to a website where you can see video, you can see a massive paper that goes through everything we went through today and more documenting all of the history of the pill, how it works, what it does, the risks. And um, it's if, you're, if you don't want to read that, there's an executive summary there that'll walk you through a shorter version. But we've made it really easy for people to understand, to read, to share. So please check out liveaction.org slash abortion pill kills. All right, liveaction.org slash abortion pill kills. We are going to be putting the link in our description as well. So if you are listening uh, on your podcast catcher, watching on YouTube, you can just go down to the, the, the show notes and click that link. Allison, thank you so much and taking, for taking the time and joining us today. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. Excited to see the lives we saved. Thank you. That was Allison Santafante from Live Action. What a great conversation about a very difficult topic, which is the abortion pill and this continual uh, activism from the abortion industry. And, and right now from the those ex- abortion executives who warned the seats in the White House, um, from the head of you know the HHS in the United States and so many other activists uh, around the world, this push for the abortion pill. It's a difficult topic, but extremely important, as you know, um, to be aware of the different aspects uh, of the abortion pill and the different, you know, challenges and and difficulties, and even um, the the uh, the health effects uh, that this abortion pill can bring. Cam, what are your thoughts? Uh, just some final thoughts um, of the the conversation and some of the things that we learned today. I I think that it's so important for listeners to take away not only the encouragement that we have the abortion industry on the run, that they are desperately scrambling for how are they going to keep abortions happening in America and around the world. So definitely there's that encouragement, but also um, a reminder that we need to keep our foot on the gas pedal. Right, that, that there are children who are going to be killed simply earlier and through a different fashion. Um, this will be marketed as something very convenient, very easy, very acceptable. It's going to be very, very easy 
to receive these pills. I mean, we're, we're talking right now about um, being able to receive these pills in the mail, but we alluded to the fact that I would not be surprised if in the coming years you can purchase these in a, a vending uh, machine, let alone in your campus kind of pharmacy, over-the-counter, all that kind of thing. I mean, it, it's going to be insane how accessible these pills are. And so pro-lifers have a an incredible duty to remain faithful in sharing this pro-life message, in sharing the horrors of not only what the pill does to preborn children, not only the impacts that it can have on a mother's life, but also just the horrifying origin story of this procedure. Definitely want to encourage you to check out the content that Allison mentioned on their website, sharing even more in depth the mind-boggling origins of the RU46 pill that you literally couldn't make up, right? This this sounds like an absolute conspiracy theory from pro-lifers that this was somehow connected to um, gassing the victims of the Holocaust, but it's there. It's there and obvious and open for anyone to know. And there were huge protests when this first came out. You literally could not make up a more sinister story for the origins of RU46. Um, and so definitely check out more on Live Action's page. That's right. And just a reminder um, about the conversation we're going to be having next week with Dr. Matt Harrison, uh, who is one of the doctors behind the abortion pill reversal procedure. If understanding the abortion pill is important for your conversations with uh, abortion supporters, understanding the abortion pill reversal procedure is even more important because that has been used to, to save babies and, uh, and, and God willing will continue to be used um, to save many, many more. So go check that out uh, when it comes out a week from today. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you so much for the support that you have shown to us. Thank you to our patrons for, for supporting us, for supporting our our producers and ensuring that this sort of content can continue going to the world and we can continue sharing the, the conversational tools and tactics that we use and some of the knowledge that we've gained about the abortion war to you so that you too can be equipped to be better pro-life advocates, to be better advocates for the pre-born and to know how to have those winsome and effective conversations. Thank you again. God bless you all. We hope you tune in again next time.